Hey everyone, my name is Ziwei, Chief Product Officer here at Talabad. Hello everyone, my name is Khaled, CTO at Talabad. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Today we have a topic we wanted to talk to you about, which is product discovery. Um, we believe this is one of the most important uh, topics that actually uh, make or break a lot of tech companies. And, um, and, and uh, it's, it's, it's so, so core to how uh, we work in, in, you know, tech companies, yet I don't think enough people talk about it and discuss it and actually think about how they're doing it. And uh, today we will be talking about what it means, why it's important, what are some of the misconceptions, uh, but also how to build for it, how to hire for it, and so on. So we're going to, uh, you know, we have a lot for you to share today, and uh, hopefully you will find this uh, exciting and, uh, and insightful as well. All right, uh, let's kick it off. So um, product discovery, Iwe, what, what does that mean? Yeah, great question, Halid. Um... Product discovery is now getting to become a bit of a, a buzzword and a, a great term to describe uh, what modern tech companies do to figure out what to build, right? Uh, it was coined by Marty Kagan, and if you haven't read his book, uh, How to Build Great Tech Products Customers Love, uh, please do. It's a fantastic book for uh, product engineering designers. Um, who, if you're building products, tech products, software products for people to use, you should definitely take a look at that book. And, and he covers a lot about this concept of product discovery, right? So, I mean, what it's all about is, you know, as, a, as, as tech has evolved over the years, we've really evolved from a state where tech companies were going from these massive, long planning cycles uh, that really focus a lot on the output of pushing things out the door, um, and really focusing a lot less on the customer value, the business value that's being delivered, right? We're seeing a big shift as, 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 uh, as a product and tech function uh, where product people and tech people are now more than ever before responsible for delivering solutions, uh, responsible for delivering revenue impact, responsible for delighting customers in very real ways, in measurable ways uh, for the business. Right. And in order for that shift to happen, in order for product organizations and tech organizations to have that full transformation, we need to find ways to make sure that product and tech people um, understand what problems that they're solving, how they should best solve it. And that's really what product discovery is all about. Right. It's about how do you make sure that the problem that you're solving is the right problem? How do you make sure that the solution that you're coming up with uh, solves the problem best? And how do you most importantly also move your business forward while you're at it, right? Uh, mm. So it's really about thinking it through a little bit more thoroughly end-to-end, um, -end, uh, whether you're a product person or an engineering person. Awesome, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, sorry, great answer. Um, and I think, I think, you know, it's, as you said, it's basically discovering value, right? I mean, in the simplest words, um, our job is to, to deliver value, right? To the customer, to the business. And this process is really two things, you know, discovering where the value uh, sits and then delivering on that value, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you think about it, right, um, it's now easier than ever before to test, right, to prototype, to put something together. Don't think it was always the case. Um, but now we, we, we're at that point where, you know, you can very quickly put together a prototype. You can very quickly put together mock-ups and put it in front of people and really, uh, and really learn as quickly as you can. 
um, and pivot as quickly as you can, right? Okay. So, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, I was going to say before moving to talk about how to do product discovery, I wanted to, do you agree that a lot of companies don't give that topic enough uh, kind of focus and attention that, that it needs? Yeah, I, I really do believe so, right? Um, I think the, the good part is, I think a lot of the tech companies now are starting to evolve and starting to adapt to the topics. But historically, you know, tech organizations are more delivery organizations. They are pushed almost all the time to deliver faster, move faster. And if you look at uh, the history of what we've been focusing on over the last 10 or 15 years, even in this shift towards agile, it was very much focused on delivery, 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 right? Sure, it's breaking things into much smaller chunks, but it was very focused on just getting more things out the door, right? It's about throughput. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I'm excited to see a lot more of a shift towards not just the speed and the momentum of delivery, but what comes into the system. Mm -hmm. Awesome. No, I fully agree. And um, it's very easy. I, th I think it's, it's also a little bit the easier part to, to obsess on is just the, the agility of delivery, right? I think a lot of absolutely as well, a lot of teams just obsess so much that we want to deliver as fast as possible. And they focus way more on, on when to deliver this versus why and what to, to deliver, right? And whether it will really bring the value or not. Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, if you take a step back and think about the, the questions that we need to ask as product people and tech people before we jump into a solution, right? Um, Marty Kagan really breaks it down into four and I think they're fantastic as we, uh, as we break down every problem into four key areas, right? Mm -hmm. One is the starting point is always the value, right? When you're thinking about a problem and you're thinking about building something, is it really valuable to somebody? You know, how do we know that as you're building something that your customers will love it, that this actually solves a problem for them, that it's enough pain uh, that you're solving for them, that they'll actually jump to adopt your solution. Um, mm -hmm. Right now, I mean, there's so many products out there in the market that don't really solve a real problem for people. Uh, mm -hmm. You can call them vaporware uh, or otherwise, but there's a lot of things that we think are great ideas, but when you put it to the test, uh, often fail the test of value, right? And I think that's mm. that. Uh, that's usually where the, the the first point of failure is. Right, right. absolutely. And this and the second point of uh, failure is often okay. Even if there's something that is usable, uh, that is valuable to people, is it usable? You know, can you develop and design it in a way, and develop it in a way that people love using it, that they're it's easily understandable. Um, and these days, consumers and even arguably business users have higher expectations more than ever before uh, on the experience of what we develop. Um, so it's really important for us to understand uh, whether we have any usability risks when it comes to what we build. Right. Um, the third one is business risk, right? Because you may have a fantastic problem uh, that a lot of people go through um, you may have a great solution for it, but if the business model doesn't quite fit, that's also a really big challenge, right? Because at the end of the day, especially uh, in this climate, in this market, um, businesses, tech businesses care a lot more about making sure that whatever we develop is uh, commercially viable, uh, that it mm -hmm. actually sustain a business, that it is arguably long-term going to be profitable for, for companies it's really important that, that we put on that business hat, that commercial hat to make sure that it's viable. Mm -hmm. 
And the fourth pillar, maybe Khaled, you can speak to it a little bit, is around technical risks, right? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's, you, you may have a great product uh, idea, but there are a lot of technical risks that you have to consider. Maybe you can elaborate a bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think the fourth one is, is around what we call the technical feasibility. Is it feasible to build that product or not? Sometimes, uh, sometimes that, 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 you know, the technology is not there yet. Um, or, or, or maybe, maybe just super, super expensive to build something from a technical. I'm not here talking about the, from business uh, viability model. I'm talking even technically, it's a, it just needs too much, you know, computing power, or let's say the networking is not there yet, or the communication layer is not there yet and so on. And, um, and really you've seen a lot of products only succeeded when the technology was ready. And I think one very good example would be Netflix, right? Um, 20 years ago, a lot of people have been thinking about, you know, streaming for so long, but, but, but you really have only when, when it became technically feasible and definitely Netflix also pushed the edges and, and really innovated and a lot of things like CDN and so on to make it feasible, but that's something you cannot underestimate. Um, maybe uh, maybe another example for usability for example would be the iphone right i mean we also or at least the, the ones old enough have seen you know this earlier attempt to build you know like a pocket smartphone but uh, but it wasn't as usable right it was like putting a pc on a phone like microsoft i think i made one uh, it was just that it wasn't usable right it was very valuable uh, it, I think from business perspective, it, it was it was profitable. It was like technically it was built, but it wasn't just that usable, right? And really, when 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 Apple we thought a little bit how to use how to put a phone in the in the palm of people, and we we thought that the usability of that it became a very very popular and a big hit, right? So and so on, right? Yeah, that's a great point. So I think the next, the next portion that we really want to talk about is common misperceptions about product discovery. Um, over the last couple of years, I've been in different organizations and spoken to a bunch of different CEOs and, and, and product teams who sometimes come back and say, ah, I'm getting a lot of trouble, um, having a lot of trouble pushing through the concept of, of, of product discovery um, that my CEO doesn't really understand, you know, why, why exactly we need to spend time on product discovery. Um, so there's a few examples that, that maybe we can share uh, and some common misconceptions that I hear uh, so that we can discuss a little bit on uh, why we believe that doing product discovery is still the right thing. The first one is a misconception that oftentimes it takes too much time. Uh, it's often a misconception that man, do we really need to do all of this research and all of this thinking? Can we just build it and, and, and see what happens? At the end of the day, we just need to move fast, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's an interesting one. And to some degree, I think there's some grain of truth, right? Where a lot of people, uh, mis what, what a lot of people misunderstand about product discovery is that it should be implemented in the same way for all the ideas and all the things that we're working on. And I don't think that that's necessarily true. Um, mm -hmm. If you look at uh, the gamut of things that people work on as a product and tech organization, there are some areas that are just a bit more unknown, right? Perhaps you're not as familiar with this space. Perhaps you haven't, you're, it's not a product that you guys have developed. It's a new product line. Perhaps it's a big investment, right? So intrinsically, there's a lot more risk. Inversely, or conversely, you also have product areas that you're super familiar with. 
You've been speaking mm -hmm. to your customers over the last five years about it. It's an area that you've looked at day and night. You've looked at the numbers. You know, you have a lot of data coming in and perhaps it's not as risky. So product discovery really should be varied. Uh, the, the amount of effort, the amount of research that you put in uh, should be very, varied depending on the risk, right? There are going to be some very no-brainer things that maybe is between the product manager and the engineering lead whiteboarding on a board for 10 minutes and realizing, you know what, it's not that risky of a solution. Let's just go, right? Um, and so really what, what, what it's really important here is to make sure that as a product and tech organization, you spend your uh, your, your headspace thinking about the things that are truly risky, right? The credit system, if you think about it, right? Out of a hundred credits of, of, of product discovery time that you have, that you invest it in areas that you think have a huge risk, arguably huge upside as well, and, and, uh, and, and dedicate a little bit more time towards that. Absolutely. You know, you know that's, uh, I think, you, uh, you know, uh, the, the nail here, um, because uh, you don't need to do discovery in everything, right? Let's say you have a compliance project and, uh, and, and it's, you know, this compliance has been done hundred times and there is just a very straightforward list of things you need to do. To do. You, you can just go and execute on these things. You don't really need to go in this kind of discovery mode. But, but it's, it's, it's extremely important that the higher risk you have, the, the, the more important to do that discovery number one and then do it in the cheapest possible way, right? And, um, um, and, 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 and these risks are the four things we already talked about and it's, it's important to determine the risk level, right? Um, and that can be done by, by getting, you know, people from different, that, that look at the, the problem from different angles and determining the level of risk, right? If we're not sure whether this is a problem the user really have or not, that's one risk, right? If we're not sure that whether this is a, from a business viable or not, that's another risk and so on. And sometimes you can really test a lot of these risks very early in the process. And that's maybe what mm. we can talk about next is how to, to do that discover, discovery in the most efficient way. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it, it's, it's one of the biggest things that we challenge our teams on, right? I highlight myself, yeah. I'm always asking the teams, what can you do today to get something out the door so that you can test an idea? Um, it's, it's really important to continue pushing our, the teams to, to be not just innovative in the solution, but also innovate on the ways that they can get, get things out the door as quickly as possible out of the building so that you can get actual user feedback, actual data uh, to go behind some of the decisions on whether you should continue building a product or not. So Halid, maybe you share one of the examples that, uh, that we have. Yeah, sure. I was going to ask you some questions, but uh, I would love to. So for example, we're building a new product called uh, Smart Lunch. And, um, and, and, and basically it's a, it's a subscription model uh, to, to, get, to get food lunch to people on time, uh, uh, you know, as expected uh, with a great, you know, uh, value, uh, value price, right? And, um, and, and what, what one great thing the team did is that they actually validated the full model without writing a single line of code, right? So just by, you know, I would say hacking their, their way and putting few, you know, web, web hacks and um, an email and CRM tricks, they were able to actually test the model with real customers, uh, check whether, you know, it's valuable or not. Is that something, you know, the customers would like from Talabot or not? whether, you know, the business and the, the kind of the logistics around it would work or not. Uh, and then also they answered a lot of feasibility and technical feasibility 
uh, questions uh, and that you know not a single line of code was put in that and that's a, an amazing way to do discovery in the cheapest possible way because actually asking your engineers to sit down and write code that's a very expensive way to 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 kind of uh, test and validate your hypothesis right sometimes you have to but really try hard to think of other ways of doing that without writing code and uh, and anyway, how do we do that? How do we sometimes, you know, get our product managers and engineers to test ideas without writing codes? What, what are some tools available for them to do that? Yeah, I mean, there's so many, right? Uh, we, we've done here at Talabat, uh, we've, we've launched landing pages, right? Uh, with, with different value props that we've put in front of users to see if they've clicked through. Uh, when they click through, we call them, we ask them questions, we, we dig through and, and, and figure out whether this is a problem worth solving. Uh, we could potentially even, we did things where we piggyback off of existing solutions, like you said, with Smart Lunch, right? Um, you could also create clickable prototypes. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's sort of a, a very lightweight design that you can put it in front of people to, to test ideas through. Um, or you can do what we even call sort of Wizard of Oz uh, products where, you know, um, it looks super automated. You're, you're, you're doing things, you're clicking through, but really, you know, operationally, we're doing actually a lot of things manually. You may be putting in an order, but little do you know, all the, all the order does is that it sends an email to someone in our back office and, and they're processing through the orders, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I think, you know, we, we really need to be very creative um, to move fast, you know, arguably what the business expects more than ever before in any company is that product and tech continues to innovate fast and move fast and, uh, we believe that in order to move fast, we have to find new and creative ways to always be testing out ideas, for sure. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, one, one thing that we often talk about, Halid, is how we can, uh, you know, continue moving fast, right, uh, while also protecting the team. Um, because at the same time, you know, the, the teams have so much on their plates these days. They have, you know, a lot of things that they're working on in delivery. They're also testing on a bunch of different ideas. Um, what are some of your thoughts about how you can make sure that the team really goes deep into some of these problems, right? Because one of the things about doing good discovery is that the teams can't be doing 50 things at once. They really have to go deep in a specific set of problems in order mm -hmm. to really understand the customers, in order to really understand um, the, the problems that are worth solving and, and the data that goes behind that. So how do we protect teams a little bit better to make sure that they're successful in, uh, in, their, in their product journey? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question, and that it's a hard one to be honest, right? It's because um, reality is uh, there is a lot of things, there is a lot of uh, fish in the in, in the ocean, right? And there is a lot of opportunities, and I, I think it takes a lot of discipline, and uh, it it starts first of all from having a clear strategy, right? Um, every company should have a, a long term strategy of what exactly the how they see themselves, right? How they see success. Um, what does that product, you know, holistically gonna look like? Uh, what what kind of the, the problem space they're in, right? And, and when you have that strategy, or let's put it that way, when you don't have that strategy, it's very easy for the team to get distracted, right? And wanna go after every possible opportunity. Um, so I, th I, th I think that's the first one. Uh, then really getting in the discipline of, you know, prioritization and prioritization really hard, right? Like, uh, and saying no a lot, right? Because as you said, end of day, the team has, you know, limited time, limited effort. And unless they're able to 
focus and say no to a lot of things, they will, they will just spread themselves uh, too thin. And sometimes people really underestimate the, the cost of context shifting. Uh, it's not just that if you do two things, it's going to take uh, each going to take 50% of your time. If you do two things, it's going to take each going to take 40% because you're paying 20% in context shifting. And as you have more things, you know, juggling with more things than that percentage you can give to every single topic going to go diminish significantly. Um, so that's, I, th I think, I think that a good starter um, to, to protect the team time and, and just keep asking why we're doing this. Does it align with our strategy? What problem are we solving? Is it the most important problem? Maybe, maybe it's a good problem, but it's just not the most important one. And being able to, you know, uh, align with your stakeholders and make sure the whole company is pushing in the same direction. How about you, Iway? Do you, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's, that's a really great point. I think that the other component as well is, you know, when you get the team to do product discovery together, when you get the organization uh, as a whole to constantly be looking at data, constantly talking to customers, constantly sort of solving problems together, not just, hey, I'm coding but, or I'm designing, but really solving problems together. What you also build is that institutional knowledge, the institutional mm. gut, right? Which allows people to make quicker decisions because it's about pattern recognition at the end of the day, right? It's like, ah, okay, I spoke to this customer that said, you know, X or Y or Z. Hey, I spoke to another customer that said about X and Y and Z, which allows them to, to get to answers a little bit quicker as well, uh, which down the road also allows people to move faster and scale uh, product discovery just a little bit better. And maybe just to circle back then when you also, when you, when you find cheap ways to test your ideas, then even if you make a mistake, even if you pick something that you shouldn't have had to, uh, then it becomes, you know, you're not paying big cost rather than picking something up, working on it, let's say for six months, just to discovering that it wasn't the right thing to do. Yeah, hundred percent. So maybe we can transition to the next stage, right? So product discovery, we discuss worth doing, really worth over-investing uh, time in as, a, as an organization, not just for product managers, but also for engineers and designers. Um, let's transition to talking about team design, right? Because mm. we really, really believe that product discovery is not just a product management thing. It's not something that PMs do and, 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 and throw it over to, to engineers and call it a day, right? So Khaled, you're one of the few CTOs I've met who is very, very uh, passionate about the business problems, very passionate about solving real problems for, for, for users. So what are your thoughts? You know, why do you believe that engineers should be knee deep into product discovery uh, and arguably in, some, in some, uh, some people's eyes, spending their, you know, wasting their time on, on, on doing things like speaking with customers? What are your thoughts? Well, that's a, that's a great question. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions about how to build a team uh, to do product discovery. Look, the four risks we talked about, they're not isolated, right? Like these are not four different systems that you put together and then you have a view of, of how they, in, in reality, they're very intermingled, right? Like whether something is valuable or not also is overlaps a lot, whether it's technically feasible or not, whether it's usable or not, right? And if you assume that everyone, you know, your product manager can just go and discover whether something is valuable or not, your engineer gonna go and discover whether something is feasible or not, and so on, and the designer and so on, 
that's a that's a very theoretical way and it's not really practical in reality when a team approaches something together uh, when they own the problem together they gonna you know work in very close cycles tackling that you know the, whether something is valuable feasible usable viable together and they can um, have very shorter cycle to answer these questions um, when, when whenever you have people working in silos you can guarantee 100 percent that things gonna fall between cracks uh, uh, you know as humans we're really not good at, or, or at least it's very costly to communicate 100 percent your mental perception of something to the other person. And the much better way is to put all these people together, make them own the problem together and work as a team. And that's where magic really happens. Um, and I think a prerequisite for that is to build your team to own a problem, not to build a feature. You know, we, we have this internally at Talawa, we say we don't want to build feature teams, we want to build product teams, teams who fall in love with the problem and together they are trying to solve that problem and you will never be able to do that impossible if you isolating your engineers from talking to the customers right no matter how good your product manager you are you cannot 100 percent transfer empathy to the engineer similar if they actually sit down talk to their customers talk to the people who are using uh, their product firsthand and, and, and knowing, you know, how their products are being used. And, um, and, and, uh, and I've seen, you know, examples before engineers working on a product and for a year they have never talked to the, to, to, to the user who are using that product. And then one day we, we had a meeting and we brought all these users and they met the engineers. And man, I can't tell you that the engineers, you know, the look they had on their face when they left that room, they said, I had no idea that my, the users that are using my features are like suffering all that much because very simple additional thing I could have added, right? And um, so, so that's a, I think that's a very corner store to how we build teams. Yeah, hundred percent. And it really depends on where you want to pay the debt and 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 what price you want to pay, right? Because if you're spending time front loading that you know, bringing your engineers and your designers as part of the product discovery process, then you save a lot of time in communication, right? Then you prevent rework when it comes to uh, things that are lost in translation. Um, we personally see a lot of value in being able to close the loop. Um, at least pre-COVID, we really believe in co-located teams that can really sit beside each other, whiteboard together, solve problems together. Um, and uh, I think there's another piece of it as well that is about job satisfaction, right? More than ever before, you know, we don't see engineers, for example, as coders per se, right? We see engineers as people who we hire uh, to be problem solvers, right? And what's the joy of just writing code if it's not to solve an end user's problem and actually deliver real value to somebody on the other end, right? So I find it really uh, energizing when I, when, I, when I see a group of engineers or designers and product managers coming together, being really proud of the work that they've done because they can see, wow, like through uh, our usability research or through the data that they see um, or through the business metrics that their work is really impacting uh, our users in a very real way. Um, for me, that's what brings me to work every day to be able to continue building products that, that, that move the needle in that way. 
Um, and uh, hopefully, you know, we can continue hiring people who are energized in that same way as well. Absolutely, absolutely, 100%. Yeah. Maybe one other aspect as well is, you know, the, they always talk about the three legs of product and engineering and design historically, right? Those are the, mm -hmm. the three groups of people you should always bring together into you know, a, a squad type structure. Um, one observation that we've had here at Talabat as well is that there's almost a fourth that as, biz, as a business, we are starting to introduce. The fourth is the concept of a commercial uh, owner, a commercial input to a lot of the work that we do. Because the reality is, especially if you're in the B2B world, uh, especially if your work impacts directly uh, a sales process uh, or, 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 or um, uh, is something that businesses have to buy, it's really, really good to have a, a commercial owner to come in to also be the voice of the sales team and that process and to figure out whether or not customers would be, uh, would buy it, would, would, that this would work with the sales process, would work with the, the, the business model, which we have. Um, and more than ever before, we're finding a lot of value in having a very strong commercial owner who can come in and help model out, you know, the, the potential upside of specific product opportunities using the data that comes out of product discovery, right? Looking at conversion numbers, looking at how well users are, 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 are sticking around for a product to model out the potential impact. Um, it's, it's, it's a very powerful function. It's something that we've recently introduced to our, 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 our teams. Um, and we're excited to continue seeing how that grows uh, with Halabat uh, in the months to come. Yeah, no, very exciting. And I think uh, it goes back to the four, you know, risks we talked about as well. This, this, whether something is business from, uh, viable from business perspective or not. And I don't think, you know, every company need the four legs. It really depends on what product you're building, the, the, the size of your organization and so on. But definitely when you have a lot of complexities in your commercial models, when you have a very strong stakeholders of the commercial world, then bringing that together, you're going to just follow the same principles, right? If you're, if you're part of the understanding the problem and, and working on a solution, then you should be part of the team because that's the best way to build a team that can fully own a problem end to end. Yeah, cool. The last part we want to talk about. So we talked a bit about the value of product discovery. We talked about how you design teams to own problems and, and not just, you know, solutions and output. Um, a very natural consequence of that is, okay, how do we hire these people? Like what are qualities that we look for? Um, obviously between, you know, uh, product and engineering and, and, and design, there are obviously technical skills that we look for and, and for mm -hmm. each of these different uh, disciplines, we look for something quite different. Um, but maybe on the overarching level on, on, uh, you know, what are some of the, the, the softer qualities that, 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 uh, that you look at that, that, that Talabat looks at to make sure that we hire people who, who really cares about the customer that cares about data that, that can fit into this model where it's not just about delivery, but it's also about making sure that we solve the right problems. What are, what are some yeah. of your thoughts? Uh, no, I, I, that's uh, that's super important, right? It's very easy for companies to say, "I'm hiring an engineer. I just want to check their, their, you know, system design skills, their coding skills, uh, even their people skills." But they forget about the rest of things you need to deliver a great product. And the best way, what I like to do is to look for people who are naturally curious or very analytical, who have great problem-solving skills, even beyond the technical things. 
And you really almost in an interview, you want to put a hat of a product manager or a business person and start asking things outside, you know, technical questions. So for example, I make sure whenever I'm interviewing an engineer, I ask them about, tell me what problem you're solving, right? And many, many jump right away, talk about technical. I say, no, 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 I don't want to talk technical, right? Assume now I'm not an engineer. I don't understand anything about the technical world. Tell me what problem were you solving for your business or for your customer? And that's quickly, you can see a difference between people who fully understood why they're building something, what the pain points of their customers, what the feedback from their customers were, what, how they measure success of the business. And, and you can very quickly differentiate that from someone who was just given you know, tasks and, uh, and were just executing without even understanding why they were building this feature in the first place. How, how about you, Iwe? How do you, how do you interview for that? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we, we look at a lot in, in product, it's that experimentation mindset, right? How quickly can you take a really big, hairy opportunity and problem? You know, uh, we ask the question, in your past roles, in your past experiences, what, what problems have you been super obsessed about? But what we care a lot about is how people translate that into not just this big behemoth of a project, a big behemoth of something that needs to get shipped, but how do they think about breaking down uh, this big idea or big opportunity into smaller chunks, how they tackle each chunk, answer some of these big questions about value risk and usability risk and, and, and business risk. And we go deep, right? We understand a little bit about their thought process. And, you know, one of the qualities that we look for is whether they found this process enjoyable. You know, we find mm -hmm. that the, the best PMs and or maybe even the best engineers and designers are people who who really enjoyed this process of being able to, to, to deep dive into the business problems and deep dive into the user's problems. Um, and and they're, they're very passionate about how they came to the end solution and they can tell you about all the things that worked, but more importantly, all the things that didn't work, right? And that they failed their way uh, into success. Um, and that's, you know, when you find people like that who are so passionate about solving real problems for people um, that they've gone through the, the, the routines over and over and over again and build that muscle of, of experimenting quickly and testing quickly. Those are the people that you should hire, right? Um, at the end of the day, those are the people who will make sure that whatever they build, they're not just building it and taking things at face value, that they'll ask the right questions, that they'll challenge, that they'll know how to take a really big problem and, and make sure that they make incremental steps towards getting there. Awesome. Anyway, this has been a great uh, topic. And, uh, uh, you know, I think, I think we covered a lot of things. Uh, as, uh, as, as, as last time, what, what, what book, I mean, we, we already kind of mentioned it. What, what, what book you would prescribe for, uh, for the audience? Yeah, I, I mean, I'll say it again. Marty Kagan's book called Inspired, How to Create Tech Products Customers Love is one, uh, you know, basic sort of 101 book that I believe every single PM and every uh, single aspiring, uh, whether you're an engineer, a designer, or a, a data person who wants to do more product discovery uh, to think about, um, and if we want to deep dive into that, to read that book. I think it's a fantastic Absolutely. book um, to, to, to be, you know, build those foundations. Now, what about yourself, Khaled? Is there any book that you recommend to your engineers or, or any resources that you, you uh, give them when they want to learn a little bit more about how they can deliver more value? Uh, yeah, actually, I will. Uh, there's one more book in mind, but but I I really really strongly recommend Inspired. You know, I've read that book as well, and uh, made a massive difference, guys. If you're an engineer, 
you have to read that book. It will really, you know, help you understand what, what it takes to build uh, a great product and why as an engineer, you need to think of these things. It's not just, as we said, the product manager uh, job, it's also you as an engineer, you can help a lot. The other book I, I think is slightly different, but it can really help a lot is I would say the, the Lean Startup. Because it really talks in depth about the four risks we talked about and how also to very quickly test for these things uh, uh, in, in the most efficient way possible. So also very, very strong recommendation. Yeah, that's a great one. A third and final one as a bonus is a fantastic book by uh, Melissa Perry called The Built Trap as well. So I think that to sum it up, um, I think are, are three probably really good books if you want to dive a little bit deeper on how you can transform your organization to be a bit more experimentation focused, to be a bit more uh, focused on product discovery and solving the right problems. Um, those are three great resources that, that you should probably look at to, to, to grow in that area. So thanks for having us uh, today, guys. And uh, we'll catch you in our next episode. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.